Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by James Satran. He is president of the Connecticut Police Chiefs Association and also chief of police in the town of Wethersfield. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you. You were part of a group that spoke out at the state capitol this past week against the push to legalize recreational marijuana in Connecticut. Why do you and other law enforcement leaders feel it's a bad idea? Well, there's many aspects of it that uh, we, f- we have a problem with. Probably the most prevalent of those problems is the fact that we already have a recreational drug in alcohol, and we've been battling the effects of alcohol for many years um, between DWIs and domestics and many other aspects that uh, is not good for our society. Um, But that's here to stay, and there's no question about that. Recreational use of marijuana is just adding another recreational drug to the mix and one that we're going to have a hard time trying to control, especially with drug driving, because there's no real good standard to test someone um, for being drugged while driving. So I suppose the devil's advocate would say there's already recreational marijuana that's legal in Massachusetts. Certainly, some of that is going to find its way into Connecticut. So why shouldn't Connecticut just go along and legalize as well? Well, that's like compounding two bad things together. Uh, Yes, we're going to feel the effects, especially the border towns of Massachusetts in regards to that. You're going to have people driving from Connecticut into Massachusetts to to buy uh, legalized marijuana, recreational use of marijuana there. Um, And we're going to have problems with that. But so what do we do? We now compound it by legalizing it here. Um, I'm not sure that's the the best way to go. I, I really am not. Have you or your counterparts already heard of some of the early effects of legalization in Massachusetts? Yes, and uh, probably the best example, though, is more like Colorado. Colorado, because they've done it for, they've been doing it for so long. And Colorado has had some serious effects from the legalization of marijuana there, including the influx of people coming from other states that don't have that legalization. Um, <clears throat> the, the impact on the local municipalities is much greater than it is even on the state. So we're the ones that are going to be feeling the effects of this. We're the ones that are going to have to, uh, you know, do the expenditures of resources to try to c- counteract what comes out of this new recreational drug being introduced. And that's not even counting the fact that it, it, it's going to affect the kids. I know they're only going to be selling it to someone that's over 21, but of course, we've had that problem with alcohol even when I was a kid. Uh, you know, somebody older buying the drug 
or alcohol and giving it to someone that's younger. I'm afraid it's going to hurt the kids. I really am. And I've got kids, and I don't want to see them get hurt, especially by um, introducing another drug. Going back to the idea that this would strain department resources, talk about in what ways? Well, uh, if it increases the amount of people that are driving on our streets uh, drugged, and you're going to have their corresponding accidents, including fatal accidents, uh, those take up a lot of our resources. And the fact that uh, we're going to have start having more problems with maybe kids in schools, uh, we're going to start having more problems with uh, uh, people that are now, you know, like I was saying, like we've had problems with alcohol and domestics, problems with uh, alcohol and um, disorderly conducts, those kind of things. If now you're adding to that mix, yes, we're going to have, it's going to tap out our resources. I know it's an evolving field, but what is the state of the art when it comes to testing for drugged driving? It's not as easy as testing for alcohol, is it? No. When the breathalyzers were introduced back in the mid-80s, that really took a big onus off of uh, law enforcement because the fact that it was a quick, fast, easy, reliable test that was accepted by the courts. So now with marijuana, there really isn't a fast, easy, effective test that is accepted by the courts. And what's going to happen is if, in fact, we do make arrests based off of the uh, field sobriety test or some other factor in there, um, the courts may not feel that that's a, a slam dunk in court and they may not prosecute those cases. And it's just going to be now, uh, you know, a lot of recidivism, to say the least. Is there also the issue of maybe pulling someone over who's driving erratically, knowing they're on something, but not knowing what they're on? Right. Well, then you would have to get some type of test, you know, either blood or urine. Uh, the, the problem with the urine test is that if THC shows up in that urine test, it does not necessarily mean that the person was operating under the influence at the time because it stays in your system for so long. And I believe... I'm fearful that the courts won't prosecute a case like that because of that reason. And then the officers are, are wasting their time. And I'll be honest with you, if the officers feel like they're wasting their time, they're not going to be making those kind of stops or making those kind of arrests because it's, it's useless. Now you've got actually emboldened in individuals into driving while drugged. Not a good scenario. In the General Assembly, there's the idea of incrementalism. The proposal to legalize recreational marijuana has been around for several years now. We now have a governor who supports it. Governor Malloy did not. Do you feel it's just a matter of time until it comes to Connecticut? Well, that's like looking at the glass half empty, I guess. huh? Uh, it sure seems that way to me, but I'm hoping that people uh, smarter individuals will prevail in the fact that uh, it is harmful it is adding another recreational drug to the mix. It's not good for the people of Connecticut. And whether they believe that they're going to get a lot of uh, money from something like this, I don't, I don't really know if it will. And I think it will cost more in the long run on, uh, on the resources of the state of Connecticut and the municipalities of the state of Connecticut. So it's, it's not a, in my opinion, it's not a good thing to, to, to occur. Is there also the potential that it could ease the strained resources of police agencies in other ways, say when it comes to investigations into illegal sales of marijuana. Perhaps those go down if 
the drug becomes legalized. Well, actually, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of the fact that it's actually going to encourage the black market because in the black market, you don't have to pay taxes. It's not regulated, and they can pretty much charge what they want as long as it's less than what the state is charging or through the dispensaries, what they're charging. Plus, it's a cash business. It's, there's a lot of potential for a lot of problems in, in the whole atmosphere of this. So proponents who say this would eliminate the black market for marijuana, you say no. No, I think it might even encourage it. Think about it. Um, the fact is, is that as long as they undercut the cost that the state is charging, why wouldn't they still proliferate because of the fact that if it's legal to possess, they can sell it as long as they don't get caught selling it. Both the buyer and the seller can walk away from that deal pretty much free and clear. Talk about the other members of your coalition that have come out against legalizing recreational pot in Connecticut. Certainly the police chiefs have been vocal, but it's not just the police chiefs. It's not just law enforcement. No, no. As a matter of fact, the other day there was a a psychiatrist from New Haven that came up and was speaking and talking about the deleterious effect that marijuana has on especially the youthful brain. Um, it, it really scared me, I'll tell you that. Uh, with the way he talked about that and, and the synapses and, and the, the brain, uh, where, like I said, I'm a lot older than a teenager and uh, it scared me from ever using it. Now, you've been in law enforcement for 44 years with this push to legalize recreational pot, have you seen this movie before? I mean, have are there other instances that you can think back on that, well, they've changed the law and it's made things more challenging for police officers to do their job? Not to this extent. This one is going to be a big game changer. It truly is, in my opinion. It's, it's going to make things much different for law enforcement and how they handle things. I can't think of anything in in the immediate past that uh, that is going to be this much of a, a game changer. Have you had conversations with your counterparts in other states about what legalization there has meant? Well, not actual conversations, but I have done a lot of reading uh, from what has happened in other states. And like I said, Colorado is probably one of the best examples of the, the, the extent that it costs resources of local uh, police departments. Uh, it, there was a lot more uh, cost of service, a lot more time having to be spent dealing with the ramifications of another recreational drug. Going back to legalization in Massachusetts, are, are you hearing from other police chiefs who are along the border that they're, they've had to gear up for this and they're already seeing the effects? I mean, Weathersfield is in the middle of the state, but I'm, I'm guessing police departments along the border are more likely to see this. Absolutely. I believe that. I'm not sure if they have seen the effects yet. It's still pretty new in Massachusetts. I mean, you're only talking a couple of weeks where they've been selling it. But you know it's going to happen. I mean, it, this, is just, this isn't just brain science. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Um, it's going to have an effect on, on us. And if uh, Rhode Island goes too and then New York, uh, yeah, we're going to be an island. But I'd still rather be an island than part of the problem. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to James Satran, president of the Connecticut Police Chiefs Association and chief of police in the town of Wethersfield. Moving on to other topics, tell us what else is on the agenda for the Police Chiefs Association this year in terms of legislative priorities. Well, one of the problems, the major problems that we're having in the state of Connecticut is the, what's referred to as juvenile justice. And there is 
a change that has been changes in the law. Uh, and it actually counters what I had said before. It, this, this is a game changer too. When they closed uh, the juvenile training center, I'm, I'm not sure why that happened because to be honest with you, the way it looks to me, um, that training center was really, that's what it was. It was a juvenile training center. It was very well built. It's very nice inside. It's bright. It, it, it puts kids through training sessions. In other words, they learn trades. They learn things. They, they occupies their time. They close that place. Now the only place where you can send a serious juvenile offender is the detention centers, which aren't designed to do anything other than detain individuals. That can't be good for the kids. I'm not sure why that occurred. It just it seems to be a little short-sighted in my in my opinion, especially you know thinking about the future. That there was no plan uh, to to house these individuals. That and I'm not saying every kid should go to jail. In fact, I don't agree with that. Uh, but I do believe that certain ones need to go to jail at least to to protect society for the short period of time that they can be held there. It, it seems with the current criminal justice reforms, a lot of the time especially when it has to do with automobile theft, juveniles are stealing cars, getting a slap on the wrist, and going back out there and stealing more cars. Yeah, and it's, it really is a dangerous uh, situation because of the fact that um, they don't stop. Uh, they engage police in pursuit on a regular basis. It almost seems like this is what they want to do. They want to do that. And it really doesn't make much sense because they're putting their lives in danger. They're putting the lives of the officers in danger. And they're putting innocent bystanders uh, or other motorists in extreme danger. And for what? Even if they're caught, then nothing is really going to happen to them. I mean, <clears throat> we can't hold them for more than six hours. We've got to release them. It's not considered a, a, a serious juvenile offense. So they don't go to the detention centers. Um, even we've actually stopped individuals on the rare occasion when we do get them, uh, and they're wearing ankle bracelets. So you know that they've been arrested before. So it, it's frustrating for the police. It's it's I imagine it's extremely frustrating for the court personnel that have to deal with this, the juvenile probation officers and uh, and whatnot. The kids know it. They laugh in our face. <laughs> okay, you arrested me. You got me. Okay, big deal. I'll be out. And I'm going to be doing this again tomorrow. Specifically, what would the Connecticut Police Chiefs Association like to see changed in statute? Well, one, the first thing is, please don't raise the age again. It was tough enough with the 16 and 17-year-olds. If they went up to all the way to 25, considering juveniles and youthful offenders, I mean, who do you think commits most of the crimes? It's the 15 to 25-year-olds that commit most of the crimes. If you make them into juveniles or youthful offenders... We're restricted in what we do and how we handle them, and they don't go to jail basically for almost anything other than homicide or kidnapping or, you know, the real, real serious charges. And it it's not only uh, enabling them, it's actually emboldening them to commit these type of crimes. So you're saying don't raise the age anymore when it comes to juvenile being treated as a juvenile versus an adult. But are there changes that you would like to see that maybe would help to quell the number of kids who are stealing cars over and over again? Yeah, there needs to be a deterrent. They need to be have some type of punishment for, for their actions. 
there, I, I had received an open letter from an individual who was in prison doing a very long prison sentence. And one of the statements he made in that open letter to me was that um, he, was, he felt like he was coddled as a juvenile. Well, that didn't, that didn't educate him to what would happen to him as an adult. He thought he had gotten away with so much crime and committing crime as a juvenile. When he turned to be an adult, he got slapped in the face hard and ended up with a 30-year prison sentence. Uh, he, he wrote very eloquently. He, he wrote very succinctly and, and, and put it, really put it very well. I was very impressed by that, that letter. And that's basically what I'm trying to say is just that if you don't have a deterrent, if you don't have some type of punishment, and again, I'm not looking to put every kid in jail. I don't want to see that happen either. But you got to have something in place that causes the juvenile to say, hey, I don't want to do this again. Uh, otherwise, they're going to do it again. What have you heard anecdotally about what juveniles know in terms of what may or may not happen to them if, if they're caught? I have heard that oftentimes adults have juveniles steal the cars because they know the consequences will be less severe. Well, that's been around for a long time. As long as I've been a, a, a police officer, that's been around. Um, adults have always used juveniles for that. They'll have them carry the guns if they need to get someplace with guns. They'll have them carry the drugs because they know at worst they're, they'll be out of whatever they've done by the age of 21. Um, but uh, today it's worse. One, you've added now 16 and 17-year-olds to that mix. They're now juveniles. You can't speak to a juvenile. Um, you could catch some, a juvenile in the act. You could catch them uh, in an extremely serious crime, and you can't speak to a juvenile. He could even blurt out that he did something, and you can't use that against them without a parent or guardian present during questioning. And if, like I said, it makes it, can you imagine? Um, there was a case, I'm trying to re remember where it was, but it was like uh, a 19-year-old had just committed a murder. I think it was New Britain. And they got him, they caught him, and they stopped him. And he blurted out basically what he did to justify his actions in that homicide. We couldn't have used that if the, the age had been raised to 21. Moving on to another topic. What are you hearing from your officers on the beat in terms of the, the opioid addiction crisis in Connecticut? Are things starting to get better or not so much? You know, it's kind of like uh, a cycle. It, they seem to come in groups. Um, in fact, as a matter of fact, I just got a report this morning that in the last two years we uh, administered, the last two years that we've carried Narcan, we've administered the Narcan and, uh, 11 times which for a community like Wethersfield, that's, that seems to be normal, you know? I mean, uh, the Harfords and the New Havens are gonna be doing it a lot more. And there's uh, two schools of thought on that. If you're, and I, I don't wanna make it sound like I'm trying to be hard here, but what, what, what's happening is some of these individuals, and I think the case in New Haven is a good example of that on the green, where you I'm have sorry, people, yeah. where you actually have people come back and forth. I mean, they were actually, saved they were narcan they were saved and then it came back two three times to overdose again so don't get me wrong i think narcan is phenomenal i think it's something that i agree with 100 percent all our officers are carrying that on the job and you're saving people 
but you need some kind of follow-up with that. You just can't release them so, like the juveniles, you just release them back into society without some type of follow-up, without some type of help to get them off their addiction because it's just they're just going to keep coming back again and again. Beyond what we've talked about so far, what would you say is the most pressing issue facing law enforcement in Connecticut? There's a lot of other issues that are that are significant. I would say you know recruitment is one, um, getting people to want to be police officers because of the fact that we're under such scrutiny now. There is no time that an officer is out there trying to do his job where he isn't being recorded. And um, the problem with some of those recordings is that they're edited and put up onto YouTube and it doesn't, you know, it's it makes the job 10 times harder. Um, so, uh, yes, and plus the fact that, and I know I'm going to sound older here, uh, dealing with uh, millennials is, is a whole different generation from my generation. And, and learning that and, and uh, dealing with that is, is, is an issue for, for everybody that's in my position. As we've noted, you've worn the badge for 44 years. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen in your time as a police officer? Does it have to do with the forensics and the way you go about conducting an investigation? Absolutely. That is the best part of watching it through the years that I've been there. The forensics is absolutely phenomenal. It truly is. When, you know, when, you, when they make a case with DNA, touch DNA, uh, familial DNA, it, it's amazing to watch because I was there when it seemed like uh, fingerprints were the only thing that would ever get somebody caught. And, and, and obviously fingerprints were, were far and few between back in those days. Um, no, that, that, uh, the other aspect is video. Uh, I'm truly a proponent of video. The video is solving so much of our crime. Um, places like Hartford that have the video and the fact that they have the software that, that can control the video to, to search for things and things like that is absolutely astounding to see because I was here when we didn't have video. Uh, video is important. Um, and forensics is important. DNA is important. Um, so these are the things that I've actually seen, you know, you, and you've got uh, and technology that's in our cruisers is amazing. I mean, we actually have thermal cameras in our cruisers now. We just have to look in the dark <laughs> with our eyes. Uh, this is great. This is all great stuff that is really helpful to law enforcement, and I've actually witnessed the transition to it. How do you feel about police body cameras? I think they're absolutely great. We, I can't tell you how much time, effort, resources, uh, and money that we've spent through the years um, looking into cases where someone said the officer was rude. Um, now, you don't have to do that anymore. You can know if the officer was rude or not. You know what transpired. And then there are times when people outright, believe it or not, people have outright lied about their uh, encounter with a police officer. And if you do have a police officer that is a problem, you, you address that problem. So, yeah, uh, body cams, I think, are great. The problem that you have with the body cams is the, the, when they make such stringent rules for them and you know people are human. You know, take, for example, you have to turn it on in certain instances and you have to shut it off in other instances. And it's different than, like, the dash cams because we had dash cams for years. Dash cams, when you turn those lights on, it automatically made that an event. But the body cam, the problem with that is, is that when something happens that's really bad, 
the last thing you're thinking at that time is, oh, I got to turn on my body cam and actually do that. Usually you're addressing the issue at hand, you know, whether it is a situation where somebody's coming at you with a club or you know, God knows what. But there are certain times that, that you have to shut it off and certain times that you have to turn it on. And it makes it more difficult and it makes it um, where officers are reluctant to, to start wearing them. He is James Satran, president of the Connecticut Police Chiefs Association and chief of police in Weathersfield. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.